Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. On today's episode, David and I get into this idea around um, Dark Night of the Soul. Some people might call it a crisis of faith um, or just a continuation of this idea of deconstruction um, that can sometimes bubble to the surface through uh, past traumas or meditation or prayer. Uh, these different spiritual practices and how we can walk through it, uh, not only individually, but more importantly, as a community. However, before we get into that, thank you, Diego, at Recording Moving Studios. Uh, he does all the uh, editing and sound engineering on these uh, on each episode. Thank you to Jacob from Monk Drums. Those are the drums we use for the intro and outro. You can see uh, some of his products at monkdrums.com. If you're interested to learn more about Desert Rain Community or just uh, some of David's uh, thoughts and writings, check out theruined.com. And also uh, check out drcrpod.com for uh, past episodes. You can also find them on any podcatcher that you might be using. Lastly, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend, uh, share us on uh, social media. Uh, it's the best way for little guys like us to get the word out. So we appreciate you and let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. I'm sitting here with Mr. David Morrison. How are you doing today, sir? Hola. It's a beautiful day out. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, as they as they windy. say. Yeah, but the the temperature's right, the yeah. sun's shining, the sap is rising. <laughs> Springtime, baby. It's almost summertime, I guess. The birds are randy. <laughs> <laughs> that they are. The um. So today, so the last few episodes, we've wrapped up um, the series around. Uh, sort of that construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction um, paradigm. Yes. Um, and today we, I wanted to dive in with you uh, with this idea kind of focused on the deconstruction or, or what people sometimes call a crisis of faith and the dark time, the sort of spiritually dark time that can follow it or even precede it, like a dark time can to get continue, can give you that crisis of faith um, and even spiritual practices that you might not think, uh, meditation, centering prayer, uh, labyrinth walking, yeah. prayer, um, fasting. Uh, these things can bring up dark stuff from our unconscious uh, that if you haven't been forewarned or, or never experienced it can be rather, uh, can shake the foundation. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so maybe, maybe, I don't know where you want to start around that, where a good starting point might be, because it, it kind of all circles each other, kind of all orbits itself. But maybe we start with the practices that can bring some of that stuff up. Yeah, maybe we should also um, differentiate your your belief systems that fall apart, specific religious beliefs that you have. That's what we've been talking about, right? Right. 
But then there's your personal faith where you can actually have a crisis of that kind of faith. Yeah, let's go with that. And the personal, personal mooring in, yeah. in the world. And, and one, I guess a metaphor I've lived with for a long time, and I don't think I've even, I don't know if I've ever brought it up here, but uh, it's, it's not groundbreaking. People, uh, you know, Teresa Avila wrote the, you know, the, uh, the ma- about the mansions. Mm, and that right, kind of the thing. many mansions. But I've, you know, even in my early 30s, I kind of saw the spiritual life. I wouldn't call it the spiritual life. I called it your relationship with the Lord. <laughs> so, but it's the same thing. Right. And Just different words. Yeah. And I would say, you know, when you uh, first meet God, which which is kind of a, uh, it's, it's that you've recognized, it's really you recognizing that God has been a part of your life, your right. whole life. God has embraced yeah. you. And then you up recognize that it. Point. Oh, well, sit down, God. I'll take over from here. Uh, so, oh, thanks for showing up, God. Let me show you what yeah. I've been doing. <laughs> but the analogy would be you you step into the mansion, mm. you know, uh, referencing uh, John's gospel. In my father's house are many mansions, right? Many rooms uh, is another way to many dwelling places, and. So I, I used to use this this analogy a lot, and I still it still works over the decades for mm-hmm. me. And so, so you may be in the, uh, one room, and let's say that one room has a theme, like mm. with a, uh, a certain rug that really holds the room together, as brings as, it together. As Jesus said, and uh, and so it has a theme to it, and that room might be salvation. Okay, and salvation is the work of you, basically getting out of addictions. And into a, uh, an awakened life, uh, engaging life soberly, mm-hmm. you know. And so, but you might spend 10 years of your life in that one room. Right. And then you look up one day and you, you oh, shit, there's a door right there. What the hell? And so you open that door and, and there's a whole other room, a, a treasure room. But before you open that door, let's say there's a hallway that's pretty dark, mm-hmm. uh, and so that would like be like a hallway that connects these two rooms. Right. Okay. Okay. And so that transitional time would be a crisis of faith, mm. and it could be a very personal crisis of faith. So you may be in what we called, uh, you know, an early stage uh, belief system of Christianity or any faith. Really, it works. Right. With any yeah, it works. Beliefs, even secular worldview. Uh, so you may be in an early stage, but it's still a personal crisis. Uh, you may be in second stage, third or fourth. Uh, for, if you're in fourth stage, you just you you just know it's a hallway, mm. uh, but there might be stuff in the dark still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or you don't know what's in the dark. And usually, too, I think having stayed in the original room so long, there's like a comforting, yeah, like yeah. a blanket, you know, like a blanket when you're a little kid, yeah, or something like that. So even just opening the door to look in the hallway, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people probably intentionally. Even uh, they'll they'll throw a tapestry over the door Mm. and just pretend that door doesn't exist and spend the rest of their life in that one room. Well, and so to kind of to kind of continue on that idea, but aren't there things in our lives that could even if you have a tapestry over the door that can throw us? Yeah, sometimes you don't have the choice. Yeah, and you know, and John of the Cross. who wrote the poem in Spanish, The Dark Night of the Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that was a poem. Yeah, and he wrote it under extreme duress. He, right. he wasn't in some academic uh, ivory tower. 
And so you got to keep that in mind. He's writing, this is a traumatized man, right. physically tortured as well by people that he trusted. And so, yeah, so you got you to keep that in mind. The yeah. context. This is a guy that was thrown into a, a cellar mm. for a couple of, I, I don't know how long, but right. it was a long time. Solitary confinement. Uh, when they did let him out, they beat him. Mm. Uh, and so it was, it was a bad deal. So, yeah. So under that, and, and let me just say this, there's a lot of different ideas about the dark night of the soul. There are people that, yeah, people, just, it's just depression, clinical depression. Mm. Some people say it's an emotional crisis of some sort. Some would say it's a circumstance where you know, circumstances in your life go sour and, and it's a hard time. Uh, but there is a spiritual dark night of the soul as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what he was heading, you know, getting towards. It wasn't so much the, um, the emotional trauma. Right. And, and I think some would argue that spiritual maturity requires a spiritual dark night of the soul. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's part of the progression of the spiritual life. I would say that. And I think most in the mystical tradition would definitely See that uh, there's a a great book. She's she didn't she you know I don't get paid to promote this, but she's if one you of would the greatest. like if you would like to pay us to promote books, our address sure. is. Anyways, Thinking of ahead. you, Barbara Brown Taylor, as if she needs. <laughs> yeah, two, she doesn't need it. Two slubs to. <laughs> Her promotion games is. is I hope very I can well. get into that desert rain. Yeah, you know, Barbara Brown Taylor woke up this morning. Man, I hope I can get into that desert rain racket. <laughs> but she. She's one of the, in my opinion, one of the, the greatest writers of spirituality out there right now. Mm. And she wrote a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she mm. has a whole chapter devoted to John of the Cross's idea of the okay. dark night of the soul. And I've read dozens of books over the years uh, on that. And I think it shows. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and hers has been the most articulate and clear in and, my and opinion. Is it a relatively new book, or has it been around for a while? Are you not yeah, sure? probably five years. Okay. I'm thinking maybe. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So yes, in this definition, it's absolutely necessary to experience a crisis of faith, personal faith, mm -hmm. uh, not just the deconstruction of your belief system, um, and a uh, and a dark night of the soul, so to speak. So yeah, I would I would I'm working from that. Yeah, and, and so Thesis. to sort of connect it to those practices we we're talking about, maybe we can yeah. start with silence specifically. But I know for myself, uh, spending time in silence, the two that have probably impacted me the most severely, we can start with silence, but another one has been interesting, uh, has been fasting. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think, I think si sitting in silence, um, we talked about centering prayer and things of that nature. Uh, we have an... A, there's an episode about silence um, that we've already covered, so we won't go into the specific practice of silence. But I think talking yeah. about some of that the that dark stuff that can unpack itself yeah. from the unconscious in silence. What yeah. is what has been your experience with that, and and what are sort of the warnings? Not a good word because it it just happens. But what yeah. are what are what are some of the things you would? Uh, encourage people to continue on even when that stuff pops up yeah because it's in the face of a huge uh spirituality industry exactly right yeah and 
be happy. And it's going to make you happy. Do yeah. your yoga and you'll exactly. be fully fulfilled. Say yeah. your affirmation every morning and you'll never exactly. feel depression. Practice yeah. mindfulness and you'll become a fully realized, uh, you'll, you'll realize your full potential as you, a human being. You'll be hanging out with um, Buddha and Jesus in no yeah, time. Yeah, and it's, there, there's, it doesn't tell you the rest of the story, mm -hmm. which is, you know, Christianity, we're fortunate because uh, we have this logo of a dying naked man on a cross. And you're forewarned immediately. Yeah, this is where you're heading. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, in the popular world right now, in the mind, you know, mindfulness industry, they they don't talk about uh, what Thomas Keating calls the unloading of the unconscious, mm. and he has a chapter for that in his book, uh, Open Mind, Open Heart, uh, seminal work on centering prayer. So as you begin to practice silence individually. Um, the the emotional traumas from your childhood that you have no words for necessarily you're not even aware of begin to uh, uh, under normal circumstances you have those uh, tightened down mm -hmm. and and so the practice of silence this practice of centering prayer uh, begins to loosen those those uh, ropes if you will yeah because we we when I say we a lot of people stuff trauma just for a survival instinct, yeah, just to be able does. to get through the world yeah. day to day. And normal sleep and rest can't jiggle it loose, so to speak. Right. But, but uh, an intentional practice of prayer, silent prayers, especially uh, stillness will eventually, those things will begin to come to light. Um, your, uh, what Carl Jung would call your shadow self mm -hmm. or what, Paul, the apostle, would call the sin nature. It'll be it'll begin to uh, manifest, and the lies that we tell ourselves, the logical fallacies that we give ourselves to, the shell game that we play with our worldview, where we uh, only we create facts to to uh, back up our demanded view of reality, mm, our opinions, you know, so, yeah, all yeah. the games that we play, uh, and that everyone plays. Every if you're a There's, human being, you yeah, do this. Yeah. You, there, I think. Uh, I think we've covered it before, but Jonathan Haidt yeah. has a couple great books around how we'll, we'll come to a conclusion first and then sort of yeah. our, the, we'll find the facts to back it yeah, up that's retrospectively. Exactly what we, do. we draw we draw the target first or we or we shoot the arrow against the wall first and then we draw mm. the target around it. Yeah, it's a good And then we say, we're, I'm a generous person. Mm. I am a good person. Uh, <laughs> look, you can see my 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 arrow in the middle of the target. Yeah, look at that. I, I have a happy <laughs> sticker, a happy face sticker on my paper. You know, so so we play these games and, and usually we play these games uh, in response to the traumas of our lives. And uh, I think some of those traumas can even be generational. Oh, yeah, 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 you ancestral, know, we, for yeah, sure. We yeah, we hold those in our DNA, Absolutely. literally. Yeah, because trauma is held in the body. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard The physical wired. body, yeah. Yeah, your physical body, muscle memory. Um, Eckhart Tolle, another author, uh, I believe in his book, uh, I'm into chapters today, I guess. Uh, the New Earth has a chapter on, he calls it the pain body. Interesting. Uh, and it's just this underlying stream underneath it all that where there's a seething fear and anger and loathing uh a demand that we uh not face who we who, what we're struggling with that we don't face our wounds that we don't look at 
our shortcomings and failures mm. and that and that we're really trying to be someone that we're not and we're trying to live a, a reality that we're not and so that's so that's so someone else's expected yeah. reality and so that's the the temptation of religion and spirituality which is uh Jesus or uh, meditation or yoga will will get me out of this reality that I loathe, that I don't want to be. Uh, I can stop facing me and and become someone else and become the best image of myself and um, and hope that that becomes the truth. And so so well, what happens is if you start practicing this stuff, uh, you know, on a long-term consistent basis, this stuff is going to, to come upon you. Mm -hmm. It's going to, uh, and, and it'll manifest in very bizarre ways, uh, as well for a lot of people. So you, you will have, uh, uninvited visions, mm -hmm. very bizarre, disturbing dreams, compulsive thoughts will begin to uh, flood your mind while you're trying to practice the silence. Uh, you may start crying uncontrollably with, with no that. reason. Um, aches and pains, mystery aches and pains in your body. Uh, outbursts of anger with your loved ones that have no, you know, there's no cause or, or reason for that. Um, well, logical cause or right, reason. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, well, it's, so those things will begin to happen. And, and it'll seem like you're going backwards mm -hmm. in the spiritual advancement if you will which that shouldn't even be a in the equation but anyway well and it, it the the aches and pains one as we were talking about this and i know i've shared this story with you but i don't i don't think i've i don't think we've talked about it on here but um well we have talked about the fact that you know i participated in the the camino de santiago mm, yeah. and on the second day the end of the second day, my knee started hurting. Uh, and I thought, oh, I just need some rest. I'm almost yeah, you're to walking the, yeah, 50 almost, miles a day or whatever. Almost to the end point so I can kick my leg up and it'll be fine in the morning. And I woke up the next morning and probably had, had walked a quarter to half a mile. Oh. And it was just as bad as <laughs> the day ending the day before. And... To sort of shorten the story, I walked the next place I was planning to stop. There just happened, one of my mom's friends lived there. So I had a place to stay. Uh, she obviously is from Spain, so she's fluent in Spanish, which I'm not. When I got there, the whole day, like I, like you, I was having weird visions, obsessive thoughts. Um, in that, this will sound weird, but... In the moment, I learn. So one of my favorite artists, authors is Hunter S. Thompson, and he talks about fear and loathing a lot. He has a couple of different books with that begin with that title. And for me, I really had this. I really learned what fear and loathing was. Mm. I was in so much pain in my knee. Wow. And it was so concentrated. So I had to stop walking. I thought my I thought the walk was completely done mm. because I was just in so much pain. But I got to Pamplona. My mom's friend was there. I had a place to stay. She took me to a, a physical therapist, translated for me. They were like, oh, yeah, this is a common injury. It's your IT band, which is what runs along your thigh. Mm. It's like it just it gets tightened up. So she, they said, don't walk for a couple of days. Luckily, I had a place to stay. And during that time, one of the things 
So my grandmother, who's 95 years old, for the last probably 15 to 20 years, has had really bad pain, knee pain that she's never been able to get rid of. Like they're usually able to do stump to like dampen yeah. it. And for some reason, I was in a coffee shop and just that thought of my grandmother, mm. there was like a connectedness with my grandmother all of a sudden who was on the other side of the world. And I just started crying in the middle of this mm. coffee shop because of this pain <laughs> and this like relatability. Because what was so profound to me is I was like a dead, you know, like I was like just totally out of it. And then, right. but thinking about my grandmother getting up every day with this pain. And I don't know, I can't say it's the same magnitude. It right. didn't matter. It was just like this connectedness. Yeah, yeah. And it's just amazing how working through... Because I very much think there was something being released in me because I was on a pilgrimage. I was praying and meditating. Like my body, yeah. it wasn't just a, an injury from walking. I knew, like right. I could it's feel deeper than that. Yeah. And so it's very interesting that you brought up that idea of aches and pains coming up. Yeah. You'll be sitting in stillness and silence and it feels like someone's, uh, there's a, a fairy pricking you with a pin on your thigh or on your arm you know and it's you know it's weird stuff that happens mm -hmm. you know and, and, I, and i'm not calling that the dark night of the soul by the way right those are I'm just calling that the the i guess the mystics the, the traditional would be called the purgation you're being oh, purged okay okay so the dark night would be uh the sense of the general sense of god's presence uh buddhists would call it um equanimity, this mm. general sense of well-being and being at peace uh, is gone. You're, and you're not in discomfort either. You're not, but you can become uncomfortable because it's gone. Yeah, there's some kind of loneliness that, yeah. um, that I've experienced with those times in my life. Yeah. And in the Christian tradition, we'd call it the absence of God. Mm. Um that kind of thing, or or the Psalm twenty three, the 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 dark valley, you know, that kind of thing, or the wilderness, mm, desert yeah, experience, yeah. and so you don't have the usual consolations and comforts of, of that usually come from maybe scripture reading, prayer, singing, worship, Eucharist, uh, those kinds of things. Um, now it's not to be confused with clinical depression where you can't feel anything. You don't mm -hmm. feel good. You don't feel bad. You don't see beauty. You don't see ugliness. That's not what I'm talking about. So, uh, 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 yeah. So anyway, so, so yeah, the unloading of the unconscious is not necessarily the dark night of the soul, though that may be happening while you experience it. That's why these things are so difficult. Right. To, it's hard to, to articulate. And, and I, I think, um, to stay with that, that idea of un, un, unloading the, Unloading the unconsciousness, is yeah, what you're yeah. saying, yeah, is uh, that any of these practices that we're talking about, whether it's prayer or silence, yeah. um, you know, I know sometimes people will take like weekend retreats into nature yeah. by themselves, um, any, any of these sorts of things that kind of push us and pull us uncomfortably. Um, like I said earlier, fasting has been yeah, one for yeah. me that that has uh, been very profound with this unloading of the unconsciousness. Um, so what, what, what are some of the things, uh, recommendations you've given to people 
as they're experiencing these this yeah. discomfort, some of those like um, just like just, I know it sucks, but keep going. Yeah. What are you know? What are disturbances some, in the kitchen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are some of the yeah. things you've you've passed yeah. along to people that or, or things that have yeah. just been helpful that have been passed on to you? Maybe. Well, I wish I had somebody. I wish I I was aware of Thomas Key. I wouldn't have been able to understand it. Right. But, but I wish I had someone to mentor me when I was uh, 16, 17. Mm, right. Because when I was a child, I prayed, recited prayers, you know, mm-hmm. the rosary. So that kind of kept your mind active. But when I started uh, hanging out with the those crazy charismatics, okay. I wanted to do free-form prayer, so to speak. Okay. So I would, you know, kneel. I would still do a half Catholic and half charismatic. So I'd kneel down in front of a crucifix kind of thing, mm. try to pray for one hour. And and then that's when it started. Uh, um, compuls- so you- compulsive thoughts, rep- repetitive, disturbing compulsive thoughts coming through. Okay. And so, and in the charismatic world, you become convinced you're demon-possessed or you're oh. being attacked by demons or uh, you're demonized, you know, in mm-hmm. some way. And the advice they give you is a verse from Paul in Corinthians, take every thought captive, which which is bad advice. It's it's a bad application. It's not what Paul was really talking about. Uh, and so so I started wrestling with those thoughts. Oh. I, you know, Satan, you, you leave here. You know, I the the love of Christ compels you. <laughs> the love of Christ compels you. You know. Well, that's funny because that in, kind of thing. In our silence episode, we actually get into uh, the war. You spiritual warfare. Okay, that's, yeah, that's yeah. like become common. Yeah, and common it becomes place. a waste of. You could waste a lot of time. Yeah, and I did, and and so, uh, so I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, and then realized if you ignore compulsive thoughts, and and allow thoughts just to flow, like mm-hmm. Thomas. I think we probably mentioned this. Thomas Keating has the analogy of, you know, your mind, your stream of of thought is a. You know, picture a, a river, mm. a physical river going through, and just because there are boats, a boat is a compulsive thought or a large. Mm. You don't jump out into the stream to stop the barge right. from coming you down. You allow it. You just let it flow down. Yeah. You know, or you know, and so what was Paul talking about when he was talking about taking? I don't think anybody knows what Paul okay. was talking about, including Paul. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that came to my mind is just. Just be aware of your thoughts. Yeah, probably. Like be mindful of what what you meditate on. Yeah, for yeah. for extended periods of time. But yeah, even, I'd have I to go know. back and look because uh, yeah, because when I went into a deconstruction phase, that's a verse I completely avoid mm, uh, digging into because it reminds me of that spiritual mm-hmm. warfare, right? Buffoonery, yeah, okay. that I engaged in so much, and so okay, so maybe yeah, in stage four, I should probably pick that up again and. Because I do See think what that's Paul meant, you know, quote unquote, taking something captive for me when it comes to my thoughts. You know, I I don't necessarily have control over my initial thoughts. Yeah. Uh, actually, I know I don't, but I do have control over the things that I uh, contemplate on and meditate yeah. on and focus on throughout my day. Um, so I might have some crazy initial thoughts. And then it's my choice at that point. Like, am I going to hold on to that yeah. that outlook and 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 hold on and keep playing it over in my head obsessively, yeah. or am I going to like let it flow like the barge passing on the yeah. Mississippi or whatever? And th- and that's the tension between 
charismatic prayer and contemplative prayer. Mm. So charismatic, you're holding on to things. You're waiting for God to speak to you. But what ha often happens is that because you haven't, the, the, your unconscious has not really been un purged very much. Okay. And your ego is still very much intact. What, you're, what you do is you take a spiritual experience and the ego will immediately hijack it. Take it captive. Maybe uh, that's what that. Yeah, take ownership. Yeah, of it. takes ownership of it. Tries to possess it, and then says, "I'm in. I'm in touch with the supernatural. I'm. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the two prophets mentioned in Revelation." And this, you know, and, and that's why you do see a lot of. Uh, I've seen people who, on a uh, normal day, are very grounded, rational people. Okay. And I've seen them experience, have a spiritual experience, a profound awakening, and it, and then on the side, it triggers. A manic episode for them. Okay, and they'll stay awake for three days. Right, like they, a truly manic. Yeah, yeah, episode. truly manic. And you know, one of them was a Buddhist practitioner, so he was able to to uh, get the aircraft. The aircraft was spinning and <laughs> got right in the it. higher atmosphere, and he was able to, in a couple of days, realize I'm in a manic state. That doesn't, and so then you've got to be able to say the spiritual experience didn't cause. Uh, or, or the spiritual experience was not really connected to it. It just mm. triggered what was already going on in me. So it doesn't devalue the, the experience itself. It sort of lit off the rocket, so to speak, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that was already sitting there. And, I, and I've seen that, especially in Pentecostal circles. Mm. You know, it's really just uh, people's mental illness is getting triggered. And, and then they have grandiose, you know, if they're bipolar, they'll have very grandiose mm -hmm. ideas of themselves. Well, and I, religion is very, it, and spirituality is very easy to do that. Yeah, and I think that goes back to um, what we talked about at the beginning with with our traumas of the past that are sort of, yeah. Um, I don't want to call them ticking time bombs, but they're within us already. They're already part of our yeah. being. And, and if we don't uh, find some way to face them, that we can have experiences yeah. like you're now describing. Yeah, and I'm talking about these are normal uh, you know, and when things are copacetic, right, right, and right. fairly grounded, so they appear yeah, you to do be, need to go get psychotherapy uh, if certain memories begin to to show up, uh, or go get cognitive therapy, or maybe even uh, seek uh, professional help for you know uh, for uh, you know get a, uh, on some sort of medication. Well, know? and I think that's an important reminder because I think in a lot of circles. I mean, we've made a lot of progress over the last decade, for sure, of normalizing yeah. therapy and therapeutic outlets. But in some circles, it's still frowned upon. Oh yeah, you know, certain is. certain cultural. Um, well, and uh, yeah, and even in Christian or not, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it can be based on your your culture, your ethnicity, yeah. your religion. Like, there's different pockets here and there where it's still very yeah. much uh, frowned upon, and so that you know, there are. In this day and age, there's way to reach out to some of those types of help anonymously. Exactly. Whether it's some kind of hotline that you can reach out to and and find and, yeah. and get help for these these sorts of things that uh, maybe in your in your friend circle, your family circle, uh, we we don't do that in this family, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, sort of idea. Well, it's one of the pitfalls of spirituality and religion is uh, my experience is the cure all for everything. That's, that's the, you know, or Jesus is the cure-all for everything. Just read your Bible, just meditate, just do yoga, and, and there's this well, even it, it can fix-it-all kind of attitude, and it, that's not reality. It's not how life works. Yeah, I was talking to a friend last night, and he was talking about an acquaintance he has that's struggling with 
alcoholism, but yeah. he's this acquaintance is in in a church. And so all the people that are sort of surrounding him are like, well, Jesus will get you sober. Yeah. Which may be true. Yeah. But because they're so, they're pushing that on him, a 12-step program is is out of the question at this point in his life. Wow. Because yeah, of, because of his peers, you know. And, and so, you know, the only advice I could really give my friend was, it's like, well, just be available. You yeah. know, like he might reach out tomorrow. He might reach out 10 years yeah. from now. Um, and if you're still doing a 12 step thing, just make yourself available yeah. and answer his question and, and let him know you can do both. Yeah, exactly. You can walk the 12 step path and the Christian path hand in hand yeah. with really no, um, well, that dualistic thinking is yeah. part of the, well, yeah, part of the downfall and another dark side of contemplation and these practices is that, is that if. If you're not able to recognize, you need a community around you too. Mm -hmm. You need someone to spot you and mm -hmm. say, hey, you're in a manic state. Hey, this is just a manifestation of your traumas and of being a human being. And uh, But what can also happen is you, uh, because if you're bypassing that stuff mm -hmm. and using the spiritual practice to do that, uh, it can actually make you a more selfish person. It can make you a... Uh, you know, the, the, everything that's, that's negative about you can be become enhanced. Mm, and I don't right, know if right. uh, a couple of months ago, there was an actual uh, social science paper published uh, in Europe about that, That's that there are, and they were targeting more the new age kinds right, of practices. Yeah, we, but, we've talked about this a little bit on a yeah, previous episode. But, but it could actually make you, yeah, even more self-centered, more mm. narcissistic, uh, less compassionate. Uh, and, and, and so that's part of the dark side of, and that's why you need a community around you or a small a community, a friend, uh, yeah, yeah. A trusted, yeah, a trusted friend that you, could, you're on a similar yeah, path. And they can tell you, look, you're not, uh, you didn't get a special message from the Virgin Mary and that's. Well, and I think too, it's important and this is hard to tell, especially if you're early on in your, your spiritual endeavor, but. If the community you're engaging with is also bypassing. Which could be, yeah, then it's cemented even more. Yeah. So that, that happens. Yeah. That can happen to groups of thousands. Mm -hmm. And I, I well, yeah, uh, there's there's plenty of documented cults that <laughs> yeah. have, have killed themselves. In, fa in yeah. fact, when you brought up the two prophets in Revelations, yeah. the only time I've ever heard of someone actually believing that was one of the guys that ended up killing himself in the heaven's gate wow. mass suicide wow. yeah. anyway that's a whole nother whole nother episode for maybe never uh other yeah. experts can cover cults but that's one of the things that has been helpful for me on my path is sort of because some people will be like oh we'll just find a tradition and, and stick to that yeah and, that's good and advice. dig a well well in that but for me early on exploring, going out and doing spiritual exploring and seeing right. what different communities had to offer and different um, yeah. was super beneficial for me because then I could witness, um, I could just di witness how different um, quote unquote spiritual communities interact with each yeah. other. Yeah, And I could spot, maybe not at the time, but sort of retrospectively spot where uh, some of the groups maybe I got involved with were doing some of this spiritual bypassing in the sense of well, if you just do take these three classes and pay this amount, then yeah. all your problems will be solved. Yeah. Um, I've on my spiritual walk, I've learned if if it's free and 
it's a loving community, it's probably worth your while. Yeah. Once you start having to pay a thousand dollars or more for some kind of workshop or retreat, yeah. For me, it gets it gets a little iffy. I got to do extra research on those yeah. those types. And people will say, "Well, you you get what you pay for." It's like, well, I'm pretty sure if you go through the Gospels, Jesus wasn't collecting fistfuls of cash as yeah. he as he did his ministry. Yeah, no. <laughs> that I mean, I mean, the, the women were funding him. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, yeah. they were footing the bill for the entire thing. You know, women are the backbone of all spirituality. Anyway, that's another topic for yeah. the day. But yeah, so as you begin to to do this, and you and you have a community that pushes you through, and you uh, there does come a point where, to use a crude example, I guess, uh, where you open a carbonated uh, beverage like Doctor, particularly Doctor Pepper. Spe- it's, yeah, it's the Dr. most peppiest of all the. <laughs> and I wasn't paid to say that, and so you learn how to not open it immediately mm. because they always explode all over you, and um, but you slowly you know, let the pressure release out. that so, tension. Right. So you learn to do that. And then compulsive thoughts do begin to go away unless you have need medication or deeper cognitive therapy. Depends on you, what your, yeah, every situation your, is yeah, different. Your brain chemistry, your, your genetics and your experiences. So a lot of variables, um, which is what's so dangerous about those one size fit all situations. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's actually the opposite. But, but there can come a point under normal circumstances, if you will, uh, well, by normal, I mean someone that's uh, had a, a fairly normal, boring upbringing like myself. Yeah, uh, just typical day-to-day suburban dork, yeah. Western, <laughs> Western life. <laughs> Low, lower middle class, uh, some troubles, but not a whole lot of troubles. And so um, a stable childhood, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can begin to see with clarity uh, some of the things that are truly motivating you mm. as you interact with people in your relationships. And and so I can remember, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I had an early on uh, experience like this. The, uh, so, so we were practicing this, the 20 minute, three times a day centering prayer. And, and I was squeezing in my own personal, we were doing it as a community. Okay. It's a cool, you know. Here in desert. Yeah. You already out here in desert. So you sit rain. for twenty minutes right. under a pine tree and sit in silence, mm-hmm. you know. And and so there was a point where I was sitting under the tree alone by myself and doing this the the classic Thomas Keating centering prayer mm. and kind of a little mini drama played out in this was in seconds but it, it it'll take me like a minute to mm-hmm. explain it. But it was, uh, I was able to, uh, I guess the, the Buddhists have a term called uh, the, to witness yourself. Okay. So I, right. it was that kind of an experience where I, I, it was a revelation of myself that my ego uh, depends, is empowered by the experience of rejection. It was, mm. it was a massive revelation about myself around 2008, around somewhere in there. Um, and so, so when that revelation hit, it was huge. It was a big revelation. All this is taking place you, in you, seconds. You had never really had that thought prior no, to that. No. Right? I'm wondering why, why do I get rejected so much? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, which is the games your, your brain will play. I'm going to, you know, your ego will set you up to be rejected. 
And then question, why are we always getting rejected? You know, sort of that shell game. It's the unconscious taking control of the the handlebars. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you're and you're you're completely confused. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? What are these invisible strings that cause me to do the things I do? (laughs) I don't want to do this, but it keeps playing out year after year or whatever. And so on one end, I could feel a deep compassion for that Mm. pouring in. And then on the other, it was, uh, all right, now that we know this, rejection is going to be a thing of the past. And Mm. you're going to come and everyone's going to see how smart you are. And and everyone's going to respect you and everyone will love you. And uh, and things are going to be different. Once again, the ego hijacking experience. Immediately, yeah. Interesting. And so then there was another voice that just basically told the ego, no. Rejections are going to always occur because that's the experience of being a human being. You just don't need it to empower yourself anymore. That doesn't Thank need, you for the work you've done. That doesn't need to be your lifeblood. Yep. It's not who you are. And so it was a, it was a huge moment. It was just a moment. And it, you know, it was, I was just sitting under a tree. Yeah. But from then on out, I started the practice of when I felt, the, you know, in a social situation, normal si- social situation, I would feel the sting of rejection, uh, you know, maybe a microaggression mm-hmm. from someone or a side comment or a snub, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and I would start to feel the sting of it. The, that overseer voice, if you will, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit would say, you, right. you don't need this to empower yourself. Yes, the pain, we acknowledge the pain. That hurts. It's real. Uh, they may not have even intended it, but it's still real. Um, but you don't need it for empowerment. That's not mm. what empowers you anymore. And so... So that you said that was about 15 years ago, 10, 15 yeah, years yeah. ago. It was a big change uh, and, in my life. And so that's interesting. The So you said prior to that, you would sort of put yourself in situations or get yourself in situations where the rejection would happen? Probably, yeah. So I how can't is, think of any specifically, but I'm sure. Right. But so since then, have you been able to catch yourself where you're sort of creeping back into that water of uh, flirting yeah. with re- like flirting with putting yourself in a, si- a situation to get rejected, but you can kind of catch yourself? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think things for me now are more general. Mm. So. So they're not so specific, you know. Right. So if I feel angry at someone, I can uh, quickly, you know, within the day, mm. realize this isn't really about what they're doing. This is about me not feeling, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is about me feeling uh, a lack of control, mm. you know, because COVID definitely brought up those feelings, right? Of For everybody. Powerlessness. Yeah. Powerlessness became globalized yeah. very quickly. And so I realized most of the time when I would become angry at someone, it was it was really a manifestation of, uh, I'm just, I just don't have control. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could control that so I could feel. And so then accepting, yeah, uh, we're not in control of much anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and then going on with my day. Yeah. And so. Yeah. And that, that was one thing. I mean, I still don't get me wrong. I still got, had that feeling of uh, lack of lack of control or lack of power in situations. But that was one of the nice things of being in the 12 step program, you know, where it talks about your life, you know, you're powerless over X, Y and Z and right. it has made your life unmanageable and, and just being able to sort of be 
having already done that practice, kind of what we talked about last week about fire drills. Yeah. You know, you can practice silence and practice prayer and walk the labyrinth every day and do all these things to prepare you for the unknown life situations. Yeah. Um, And so for me, COVID was, um, was the real life version of saying, I'm powerless over whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I really, the powerlessness was really magnified over the last 12 months. Yeah, and it's, you know, and the, so if you push through, the practice will teach you to uh, make peace with powerlessness. You're just at mm-hmm. peace with it. Mm-hmm. So, whereas the other detour of, of popular mindfulness practices and popular religion is, is to uh, no, we'll get we'll get you some power. We'll empower right. you. You'll, yeah, you'll, whether it's riches, oh, yeah, you'll overcome this. You'll have a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. The, the evangelist is about to pray over the radio, and he's and you're gonna and your breakthrough's coming. That kind of thing. You're, you'll conquer this spiritual yeah. warfare. And it's yeah, and it's just that's just a egoism, and it's American rugged individualism, mm-hmm. and and it's which just, is really good in some contexts. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think can be counterintuitive in the spiritual context right. at least it has been for me yeah it's it's tripped me up a few times having grown up as a, a male in in the united states and yeah you gotta provide and defend and conquer and all the silly things that that we yeah. we tell tell people at time or tell men at times but and, so, and you need an identity to be built up you know carl jung again says you know you spend the first half of your life hopefully uh being able to build an identity mm, you spend right. the second half surrendering that identity and and so um so, you know so you do need some identities to be built up and yeah. then, and that's kind of the deconstruction that occurs right you're you're surrendering that identity you're detaching from it uh and then just when you think you you don't need it anymore in the service of others in the mm. fourth state you pick it up again uh, and help those around. Yeah, you. for a totally different reason. It's not self-serving anymore. You're, it's just the need at the moment, uh, and you you just step into you it. Just and, do it. Yeah. So, um, and so, I don't know. I don't think we fully finished this idea of of being. You're stuck in a uh, not stuck. You're living in this room or this identity in the mansion. Yeah. Okay. The door opens, whether it's because you get thrown through it or you discover yeah, the door or yeah. whatever. There's a dark hallway, and at the other the end of the hallway, there's another door. Right. Uh, so I don't know if we really finished um, unpacking that. Like, why is it why is it useful or why is it um, important for someone to take that walk down the hall? into the unknown, spiritually speaking? I, I guess for me, it's, I feel like the, the it's crucial to have a, a spirit of enchantment mm. and, a, and a gift of wonder. The, the true, I, when we say awesome, we use awesome a lot in our culture, yeah, but no, I to mean be in a true truly, place of awe. Yeah, I mean that truly, of, of the, the beauty of God, uh, the beauty of my neighbor, the beauty of of, of the created world around me, um, yeah, to be, to just be enthralled, you know, to be enchanted in that sense, and um, and so then you're not escaping, trying to esca- using spirituality to escape mm. this world, but you're, but spirituality is taking you 
deeper into the heart of, of uh, the world and reality. And allows us to engage with the world yeah. as, as, it, as it is and instead of how we too. want it to be. Yeah, so it's pain, it's joy. And so, I, I, and I think that's the definition of being fully human, I, you know. So if we're using spirituality and religion to become something other than human, then it becomes an anti-Christ uh, spirituality, mm. anti-gospel, you know, just to use Christian terms. Right. Uh, anti-gospel endeavor is what it becomes. And a lot of religion becomes that, you know, the more institutional and organized it becomes, it, it tends to do that. Um, because you have, you're, you're protecting something then. You're protecting authority, you're protecting identity, possessions. And so once you do, once you're doing that, then you're committed to violence. And so, uh, so yeah, to be in that simple stage of wonder and, and you're not, you don't have a possessiveness about it. You're not mm -hmm. trying to collect things and own things, uh, possess kind of thing. So, yeah. So I, that's why I think it's, it's crucial to, to go through that. Cause if you don't, then you'll defend that room that you're in. Mm -hmm. You'll think you own it. Well, and I think too, it's important to remember, like, it might not just be one hallway. Like you might get to yeah. the next room, <laughs> hang out there for another yeah, three or four exactly. years. And then maybe notice, <laughs> you know, there in, in some rooms, there's probably multiple doors. Yeah. I might need to change it to uh instead of a mansion, my father's house, many rooms and mansions, change it to uh, Jesus's fun, fun house <laughs> fun of house. horrors. <laughs> and you can go back, right? Like you can kind of slide back into the old room. I think so. You know, yeah, I think yeah. that's possible too. Like there's slides that you fall down mm. and shafts that you fall down and end up in that room again. And, uh, yeah. And, and there's treasures in each room. So, mm -hmm. so even then you could, you know, this one treasure, you know, uh, the gift of tears, you know, that's one treasure. Uh, yeah, that's that's something that I've I've learned along, you know, because growing like I said, growing up, you know, it wasn't cool for for dudes to be crying. Yeah. And one of one of the things that I've learned in the last what are you, from World War Two yeah, <laughs> in the last, uh, I don't know, five, eight years is that when allowing myself to cry, allowing allowing myself yeah. the space to um when that approaches, uh, just you know, just sort of lean into it, yeah, and and give myself permission to engage, you know, and that that took a certain season of my life, yeah, um, to become okay with that. Yeah, I, and I would even think that individuals have we you know individually we all have a default. Uh, a default uh, reaction to the presence of God, mm. the presence of the numinous, the presence of the sacred. And so some people, yeah, crying is their default too. Mm. Other people, it's shouting and joy. Mm -hmm. Other people, it's it's just a still silence and an awe, you know. And, and probably so, some is laughter. Yeah, yeah, laughter, is, the whole thing. Yeah. So And that's where the charismatic Pentecostal movement uh yeah, those are some gifts there, you know, that that need to be there. Uh, uh, you know, in my opinion, which is nothing, but, you know, the, a lot of times the high church Protestants are so rational. Mm. Uh, that's why they're shrinking. Yeah, we kind of uh, del delved into that last week around evangelism. Yeah, because the, there's no experience. Rational. There's no 
need, there's no uh, room for the emotions or for the body. Uh, it's all just in the cerebral cortex, you know. And right. It's like, uh, well, you know. It's I'll, all in the head and, and hasn't traveled to the heart quite yeah. yet. Yeah. So I'll... Yeah. So, and so we, you know, we've spent this, this time talking about sort of the dark places we can slip into, um, sort of pushing through that. Yeah. Necessary places too. Yeah. yeah, Unpacking or, um, allowing the unconscious to, to come, come to the surface. Yeah. And, and now that we've kind of gotten to this place of the presence of God, maybe we could spend a couple minutes of like, being in the presence of God is the Eucharist mm. and the Eucharist is that reminder that we're, you know, sort of that, depending on your denomination, is that weekly reminder or monthly yeah. reminder of we're in the presence of God and the, this is the the meal we, we celebrate. So maybe you can elaborate on yeah. that sort of as an introduction of sorts. Yeah, because that's exactly what John of the Cross would say. When you're in the dark night, you keep doing the, the practices mm-hmm. of, of Eucharist. That was uh, very important to him. Uh, your daily whatever it is, prayer. And you just simply do it realizing uh, even though you're not perceiving anything with your five senses anymore, mm. uh, to realize that you're being called to a deeper calling of prayer. Uh that's a big difference, you know, because uh, the charismatic world, if you were experiencing this, we would say, well, you're, you're being demonically attacked. Mm. And, uh, and so, but the contemplative would say, no, you're, you're being invited to a deeper experience. And so, um, so, so the Eucharist is always there mm. as, as the, the signal and the noise um, to call you back to earth, to call you back to your own humanity, to call you back to the sacredness of matter itself uh, in, because of the incarnation of Christ. Call you back to your community. Yep, your community. To your uh, friends and family. Your, your, your friends among the dead. Mm. The, uh, they're all present there, you know. Yeah, call so, you back to that idea of service. Yeah, and, it's, and, and to the reality of the Paschal mystery, which is the reality of death and resurrection, the cycle that's taking place all around us in nature, and in the in the cosmos, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and I I think that's sort of a beautiful bridge. Um, next week's episode, we're gonna dive in deep into this idea of Eucharist, yeah, and the celebration of that, and and the importance, uh, the spiritual importance of engaging uh, with the Eucharist on a yeah. regular basis. Simple bread and wine. And and I guess one of the things I would throw in there the recommendations I would give to people when they, when some of these things start unpacking, whether it's through any of the practices, just keep doing them. Yeah. Yeah. If silence is making you uncomfortable, uh, you're on the right path. If silence is, is bringing peace of mind to your life, you're on the right path. If you know, you're going to experience so many different things through silence, prayer, meditation, fasting, uh, service, uh, and regardless of the feeling, do it anyways. Yeah, and, and if it's, and if you absolutely have to, quit it for a while. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that. Yeah, and that's yeah. Feel you free to do that. Yeah, there there's seasons for all all yeah. of these practices that we're talking about, and one of. The, oh, go ahead. 
I was just thinking of Peter Rollins. You know, he has a he's an author. Uh, I think I mentioned him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about. But him yeah, he times. talks about giving up God for Lent. You know? Oh, that's right. We did so go into good, that. Yeah, good practice as well. You know, uh, you know, it's kind of connected to the Meister Eckhart quote: uh, "Prayer, you know, God save me from yourself." Mm. Kind of thing. So sometimes you just gotta, you know, you know, like Thomas Keating says, there's got to be a better way to get to heaven than this. <laughs> so yeah, go garden, yeah. go walk, uh, do something different. You call, you know, call someone that that brings joy into your life yeah. through conversation yeah. and, and have a, you know, I when I reach out to people just to reach out, it I know sometimes I'll hang up the phone and an hour has passed and it seemed like ten minutes. Yeah, because you, you hadn't talked in a long time mm. and you just picked right up. So, and, and um, one of my favorite things from the recovery world, sometimes people newer in the program will be like, well, how long do I have to c- come to these meetings? <laughs> and a lot of times old timers will say, you just keep coming until you want to come. Yeah. And then, you know, and so if you think about that with silence and prayer, like That's good. That's just good. keep doing it until you want to meditate or you want to pray, you know yeah. what I mean? And that doesn't like, you know, that doesn't mean you do it every day all the time right. for the rest of your life. There is seasons where you. You give up God for Lent. Yeah. And sometimes that's a good idea too. Yeah. And there needs to come up, you know, it's it's healthy to come to a point where you're no longer analyzing mm. your spiritual practice mm-hmm. and you're no longer uh, judging it. You, know? you don't have to chart it like a, yeah. like a bank, uh, a list of accounts and, exactly. a, and your accountant would keep, keep for you. Yeah. Get your yeah. finger off your spiritual pulse sometimes and a lot of times actually. And, yeah. And just, uh, and just do just it. Be a human being. Well, that was a quick hour. It flew by once again. Uh, Mr. David Morrison, thank you, sir, for thank your, you, Mr. Mason. your time and your wisdom. Uh, typical uh, spiel here at the end, theruin.com. If you're interested in reading more prayers, poems, uh, random thoughts, if you will, that David has put out into the universe, uh, theruin.com. You can also find out more information about Desert Rain Community uh, at that uh, theruin.com. Uh, if, if somehow you came across this episode as a one-off, you can go to drcrpod.com and they'll have all the other, I think we're up to 24, 25 uh, by the time this one is published. You can find all those there. Um, what you hear in the background right now is courtesy of Monk Drums. So thank you, Jacob, for that. You can check out monkdrums.com to if you're interested in, in getting yourself one of them. One of them music makers. And uh, we appreciate you very much for, for tuning in and spreading the word and, and just uh, allowing a couple guys to come together each week and in conversation and, and uh, hopefully passing on some wisdom. So thank you very much.